If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. How many of you uh, made it out to the community service last week out in the park? We have a great time out there. It was, it was awesome. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, being there. It was great to see so many of our people there. Um, it's nice when you're speaking to be able to, uh, to look out and see some uh, friendly faces in the crowd. Um, and so the week before that, we kicked off a new series, and, and Brian uh, did a, a great job preaching on James chapter 1. Um, and the book of James is one of those books in the Bible where, you know, everyone gets a little nervous to read it and to study it because you usually, um, it just makes you feel <laughs> inadequate, right? <laughs> Talks about how you should count it joy when there's trials in chapter number 1, and may you just kicks the book right off with a, just, a, just a smash between the eyes. And uh, it, chapter 2, though, is really no different, um, and it really challenges us to a different point. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and warn you this morning um, that James chapter 2 is not comfortable. Um, this is not one of those, um, like, feel good, like, um, we're going to go out of here, you know, kicking our heels and be like, well, that was fun. That was a nice just thing, right? This is one of those pieces of scripture this morning is going gonna, gonna to challenge you, um, which is good, right? Because chapter one told us that we should count it all joy, right? When we get challenged and when we have things that we need to improve on. And so the, the, the summary of chapter two is really this idea between what is faith and what is works and how do those two things um, really go together? Because James is going to say that while our faith alone saves us, it's a certain kind of faith that is actually going to save us. He says, faith which produces works saves us. The works do not save us, but a faith that does not produce works, and we're going to talk about what those works are in just a few minutes, is a faith that will only deceive and cannot lead us into the fullness of life, or the life that God has called us to, an eternal life with God. So here's the basic outline of the text that we're going to read this morning. Faith without works is useless. And faith without works cannot save. Faith without works is ineffective. And faith without works is dead. It is no faith at all. All right. See, I told you, it's great. James, chapter number 2, we're going to begin in verse number 14 this morning. Um, reading out of ESV, it is online on your smartphone if you have the Bible app. You can follow along with me, or you can follow on the screen, um, or in your own Bible. James chapter 2, verse number 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them um, says, go in peace, be warm and filled, Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. That's a compliment, by the way. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith, apart from works, is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith that is alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab. And I love the fact that he brings Rahab into this text. We're going to talk about her a little bit more in, in a little bit. The prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, in a lot of you right now, your internal um, legalism is wanting to kick in. You're getting your notepad, your paper out, and you're like, great. Give me the list. What do I got to do? Tell me. I'm ready. I'll do it. Let me get it out. Some of you already got your pens ready. You're like, all right, this is it. That's not how it works. All right? That's not how it works. So turn your internal legalist off. Because when when you read this, you want to go, okay, James, give me the list. Tell me what I got to do to make this faith and works things work. But what I want to tell you this morning, what James is not saying in the beginning, okay? Not saying. Everyone say, not saying. I just want to make sure you're with me so you don't get confused, all right? James is not and cannot be arguing that works must be added to faith. If that is the argument, then the cross of Jesus becomes pointless. Works cannot be added to faith. And that is not the argument that James is making because we cannot, as weak as we are, fulfill the law. One of the reasons that the law was given is to show us that we can't do it on our own, that we need a righteousness greater than our own in order to succeed. And that's the righteousness of Christ. So James is not arguing that works must be added to faith, but rather that genuine biblical faith will inevitably be characterized by works. Faith trusts God and faith obeys God. If it doesn't trust God and if it doesn't seek to obey him, even imperfectly, it's not there. Now, I want to talk about works for a minute. Let's talk about what these works are that James Um, is talking about. In chapter 1, you see James talk about this royal law of love. Um, And he's really beginning to make his argument from the perspective in the same ways that Christ taught. And you see that a lot in the book of James, that James' teaching really mirrors a lot of the same things and, and really the points that Jesus did, which is a good thing. Everybody can agree on that this morning. And works is a life of loving God and loving other people. Now, I want to emphasize this this morning. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for progress. How many of you know that you're not perfect this morning? How many of you have messed up this week? Keep your hands up. If you're not raising your hand, you just messed up this week. So now we're all in unison and we're all in agreement together, right? That we are not perfect people. We are never going to be perfect. So we cannot strive for perfection because perfection is unattainable. So what we have to do is we have to strive for progress. Because tomorrow you'll wake up and next week and you'll probably be able to raise your hand again next week. Right? 
So faith without works is dead. But all of us in this room just raised our hand and said that we've messed up. So our works did not equal what our faith is. So if the argument is that works is added to faith in order for there to be salvation, guess what? We're all in big trouble this morning, aren't we? And we can't live our lives that way because that's not the way that God has called us to live. Faith will produce works as an outflowing of what God is doing internally in your life. As your life changes, as God begins to work and move and do things in you, then what's going to happen is as he changes in you, the outflow from you is going to produce the types of works that James is talking about. So it's not the cross plus something, okay? Because if it's the cross plus something, then the cross becomes pointless and we're all doomed because we're going to mess up. And we're going to continue to mess up. So when James is talking about works, it's not that because I have faith, now I'm going to start checking off all the things on my list. Okay, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I did not do this, I did not do this, and I did not do this. I'm great. Because what you're going to do is you're going to leave stuff off your list. You will. And you're going to check something, you're going to be like, yeah, I kind of did that. Yeah, you know, well, I did not do it, right? So we start checking off our list, and that, that cannot be the way that faith works because that's not what God is calling us to. And so the argument can never be that you add works to your faith to validate your faith, but rather legitimate faith leads to an ongoing love of God and therefore an, on loving, uh, an ongoing love of others, imperfectly executed as it's going to be. And you understand that, that even the things that we're going to strive to do and that progress that we're going to make is still going to be imperfect. Why? Because we are imperfect. So faith without works is useless. If you say you have faith, and if you say you trust God, and you say you're going to obey God, then your life is going to be marked by loving God and loving other people. Why? Because that's what Jesus said. These are the two most important commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself, right? And the second one's like it, he says. So there, therefore, if God is working in us and we truly have faith, then what's going to flow out of us is a love for God and a love for people. And that's going to happen naturally. So the works are an outflowing or an outpouring of our faith. There's a great illustration that James uses in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, Okay, now let's be clear on something here. What he's talking about is, he's not talking about, you know, there's somebody who got, had to get the Knights of the Round Table shirt instead of the real polo shirt, okay? It's not the, you know, it got the, the knockoff rather than the real thing, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. What James is talking about is someone who is barely surviving. It says he's lacking daily food. And so the, what, the little analogy here he's making is, he says, what good is it if a brother or sister poor, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, them, uh, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body? And then here's the question, what good is that? In other words, what he's saying is, he's picking on some of our, our Christian habits that we do when we see someone in need. Oh, oh, God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, mm. oh, and then we go. 
We had an opportunity to meet a need and to have an outflowing of what God's doing in us, but instead we just, we just said something, right? Oh, God bless you. That's what he's saying. What good is it to go up and say, God bless you, or, you know, I'm going to pray for you and do something, if you're not actually going to do anything about the situation? He's saying faith without works is dead. So in other words, you're just running off at the mouth because it's the Christian thing to do. It's the nice thing to do, you know. It's the, hey, brother, oh, yeah, we're, oh, we're just believing God for you. And then you walk away. When someone is in, has a physical need like that, and he's saying, no, don't just say something. You're just saying it to say it, to make yourself feel righteous because you said it. He's saying if you're not going to have the faith with the works coming out of it, then your faith is useless. He's like, what good is that? So there were, where there is perceived faith with no works, it's useless. Now, what's supposed to happen is, it's supposed to be the cycle of blessing and sacrifice. It's the way God's economy works that James is talking about here as well. That we are blessed, not so that we can build an addition on the house, or grow our 401k, or get a better car, or buy the real polo shirt, or whatever. That's not why God gives us an abundance. You know why God gives us an abundance? So that we can, in our abundance, bless others. We're blessed to be a blessing. And as we continue through what God is doing in us to receive from God and then be a conduit outwardly. And so our faith then is producing these works. Our conduit increases the more God trusts us to give us more to bless other people. You know, God doesn't give us more so that we can fill up our own barns. He blesses us so that we can sow back into his kingdom, into other people, and into the needs of other people, so that we can see his kingdom furthered. So he says, what good is it if you have faith with no works? You've been blessed by God to be a conduit so that the blessings of God can continue to flow. Now, when James is talking about this, he's talking about this person that's poor. He's really mirroring a teaching that Jesus did in Matthew chapter number 25. And this is the parable of separating the goats from the sheep. And Jesus says in that um, portion of scripture, he's like, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me drink. He's like, I was naked and you did not clothe me. He's like, so depart from me. And basically, depart from me, you're, you're headed to hell. Now, a lot of people mistake this for Jesus saying this to the people at his time that, hey, I, I was in need and you didn't do anything for me, so like you're cast out. No, he's talking to you and I today, right now. And when he's saying, because right before this, in the beginning of this portion of scripture, he says, when you do something for the least of these, you do it as unto me. So when he says that I was hungry and you didn't give me food, Jesus is not talking about himself. He's talking about the same thing that James is talking about in James chapter 2, that what good is it for you to give lip service if you're not going to put your faith in action by producing works? Do you see the difference? We don't add works by going, okay, if if I feed somebody that's hungry, then now my faith is... No, your works do not make your faith legitimate. 
Your works are a product of the faith that you have because you're living in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you do that, the Bible says that you're going to want to obey him. You're going to want to love him. And through that outpouring of all that love for God and for people, guess what's going to happen? Works. But it has to be done that way. It can't be the cross plus. It has to be that. Now, Moving on to James chapter 2, verse number 17. It says this, So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But some will say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified? By works, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So James is kind of creating this antagonist argument here about, will you show me your faith and I'll show you my works? And he's he's going back and forth. And it's all done to teach us something that that we need to understand this morning. So let's say we have a chair this morning up here, right? How many of you have a chair or you've had a chair over at your house that was a little sketchy? That you kind of sit in it and you're like, you know what, this might be the last time. <laughs> you know, it's one that you kind of put away and you're like, you don't want anybody to sit in. Why? Because you got an idea of what's going to happen, right? The chair's going to fall and someone's going to get hurt or you're going to get hurt or embarrassed, right? Or both. And so you don't sit in that chair. Why? Because you see that it's not structurally sound, right? But now you have your favorite chair. Guys, we all have our favorite chair in the house that we sit in to nap and watch football. Sometimes at the same time. Now, you go flopping that chair without a second thought, do you? Why? Because you trust and you know that that chair has integrity structurally. You know it's sound. You know it's going to be there. So what we've kind of done as a church, I think a long time, is we Christians, we kind of stand around the chair and we talk about how structurally sound the chair is. We're like, oh, no, this is a great chair. Oh, it's a very good chair. And we go, okay, we'll sit in it. Well, no, I don't have to sit in the chair because I have faith in the structure of the chair, so I don't actually have to sit in it. I'm just letting you know that I know that I could sit in this chair and it would be fine. I have faith in the structure of the chair. And the world is going to the church, great, sit down. And we're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't actually sit in the chair. I'm just telling you that I have faith that the chair is actually good. And the world goes, show me. And that's what James is saying in this passage of Scripture. Stop walking around the chair talking about how great it is. Sit in it. Show me your faith in action. In other words, if you really believe that the chair is not going to fall apart when you sit in it, then what do you do? Oh, come on, guys. You guys are quicker than that. So if you believe in the integrity of the chair, then you're going to do what? Yes. But what have we as a church done? 
We stand around it and we talk about how great the chair is. No, it's a, it's, this is a perfect chair. And the world goes, sit down. And we're like, you don't understand the point. Because I have faith in the chair, I don't have to sit in the chair. And they're like, this makes no sense. And that's exactly what James is saying. Sit in the chair. Why? Because you know and you have faith. So as you have faith in the chair, there's going to be an outpouring by you sitting in the chair. Because we trust it, right? So show me your faith and sit in the chair. So he moves on and he talks about Abraham. And we all know the story of Abraham and Isaac. Now Isaac was promised to Abraham. And so what God does is this really weird thing. God tells Abraham, which they would always go up and he would sacrifice and make a sacrifice on the altar. And, and God tells Abraham, hey, that son that I promised you, right? That, that, that son that you wanted for so long. Yeah, I want you to take him. I want you to take him up the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. You want to do what? I want you to take him up on the offering, and I want you to sacrifice him. So what does Abraham do? He gets the wood, he gets everything, he gets Isaac, and they start going up the hill. Now, I think Isaac's smarter than we give him credit for, right? We always just kind of, like, see Isaac is just kind of, like, tagging along, like, yeah, okay, whatever. Now, Isaac had been with his dad a lot of times. If you notice in Scripture, Isaac asks his dad, like, a lot, hey, uh, where's the sacrifice? Because <laughs> we have everything except the sacrifice. I think Isaac was starting, and dad's acting weird, right? I'm sure Abraham was not his normal self, you know? It's like a little kid when they're in trouble, you know? And you're like, wait, what did you do? (laughs) Something's going on here, right? I can always tell my dog's gotten into something that he shouldn't be in when I I walk in the room. And he has this look on his face like, oh, I'm going to go over here. And I'm like, man, he just ate something. It's usually a shoe, right? So I'm sure Abraham kind of had that same vibe about him. As they were walking up the hill, and Isaac's like, man, what's happening? God's telling him to kill his son. Now, thankfully, God doesn't do that anymore. But what does Abraham do? He takes him, and God doesn't stop him halfway up the hill and go, that's great, Abraham. No, God gets him to the point that he's on the altar, and he's just about to carry it out. And then God's like, whoa, 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 don't actually do it. Good Lord, man. It's just a test, Right? The same thing, sit in the chair. God wanted to see if Abraham was willing to sit in the chair. And that's the same thing that God's testing us. And so because of Abraham's faith, he was willing to sacrifice the greatest gift that he had been given to that point, his son. Because of his faith, he was willing to sacrifice. You see, his faith produced sacrifice. His faith produced works. That's what James says. Because of his faith, that he was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Because he was willing to give God everything that he had and to walk into that. And the same thing with Rahab. And let me just tell you, I love, 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 love that Rahab is in the story. Right? Why? Because Rahab is one of my favorite people in all the Bible. Because Rahab was a prostitute. And through Rahab comes the lineage of Jesus. So, you know, like through the whole Bible, God's giving us this great thing of saying, I'm going to use imperfect people to accomplish my will. In fact, I'll even bring my son into this world through the lineage of a prostitute. So that whole like perfection thing that we think that we have going on, Rahab teaches us 
that God isn't interested in perfection. He's interested in your progress. And Rahab doesn't even know who God really is, but she has this stirring inside of her, and she hears things about what God is doing through his people. And so she becomes, like, really intrigued, and her heart begins to be stirred by this. And so she says to them, okay, I'm going to work for God. Her faith was just this big. But look at the results of the works that her faith produced because she was willing to put her faith in action. So when we put our faith in action, the inflow of what God is doing in us creates an outflow of works. Not that we have some list that we look into and that we check off to to say like, oh, I did this. I'm great. I'm in right standing. My faith, look how good my faith is. My faith is, my faith is, I did all these works because of my faith. No, that's not the way it works. Your faith has to produce works because of what God is doing in you, not because God wants you to check something off some list. How many of you know that God does not care about your list? He doesn't care. He doesn't give a rip about your list, but he still loves you and has great plans for you. What God cares about, though, is that your faith is in him, and you begin to release that faith and let God do something in your life. There's this great story. Um, back in 1859, there was this French guy, and he decided that he was going to tightrope across Niagara Falls. All right, anybody here ever been to Niagara Falls? It's a pretty scary place to think about walking across a rope. Now, think about walking across a rope in 1859, all right? You know, today when they do those things, they have these nice little fancy wires that have been, you know, engineered and tested and they're tight. And, you know, this guy has a rope in 1859 and tied it across two trees, all right? This was not like some engineering feat, all right? So for him to actually walk across this thing in the first place was crazy. But he says, I'm going to do this. So he stretches the rope across, all these people gather from all over the world, they want to see this, this crazy guy tightrope across Niagara Falls. And so he does. He starts walking. You know, all the way across. Crazy man. And he makes it. And the crowd goes nuts. They're like, wow. He crossed a rope in 1859 across. Yeah, look at this rope. The people were saying that then, by the way, if you didn't know. So then he hollers back and tells him on the other side of Niagara Falls, tells him to bring him a wheelbarrow. So what does he do? He walks back across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, all the way back across. So he's now done it twice. And the crowd goes nuts. And they're like, this is amazing. And he goes, do you think I can do it again? And the crowd's like, yes. Yes, you can do it again. We've just seen you do it twice. Why would we not think you could do it a third time? So they start like chanting his name. You know, there's some guy selling t-shirts already. You know, oh, sorry, that was if it was today. My bad. And so all of a sudden they're all standing there like, what do we do with this wheelbarrow? He's like, oh yeah, great. He's like, bring it over. I'm going to take the wheelbarrow across the rope too. And everyone's like, yes. He's like, do you think I can do it? They're like, yes. He's like, who's getting in the wheelbarrow? And guess what happened? Nobody got in the wheelbarrow. Why? Their faith could not produce any works. 
Why? They said with their mouth, we trust you. Yes, we know you can do it. Yes, we've seen you do it three times. You can, yes, you can do it. But when it came time for them to put their money where their mouth was, so to speak, for somebody to get in the wheelbarrow, nobody had the courage to get in it. Nobody. They would not sit in the chair. Now, they were willing to celebrate him and chant his name and be like, yes, it's awesome. Somebody else can do that. And the thing is, is that really and truly, God's calling us to do the exact same thing. And, and a lot of us, are we're willing to be like, yeah, God, we trust you. This is awesome. We're willing to come to church and like, yeah, we may even clap. Some of us get excited sometimes. We might, you know, even like move or something a little bit. We're like, yeah, God. And God's like, great. It's awesome. I'm so happy about you being here. Get in the wheelbarrow. We're like, oh, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> no, I can't do that. I'm just going to stay here, and I'm going to chant on whoever gets in the wheelbarrow. I'm going to stay here where it's safe. See, what we're doing is we're not willing to trust God fully. And if each and every one of us in here this morning are honest, there's some place in our life where God says, I want you to get in the wheelbarrow. I want you to trust me. And we're like, no, nope, nope, can't do that. Mm-mm. Maybe it's your finances. You're like, no, God, I got this. I'm not going to trust you with, with finances. It's cool. Hey, you want me to do anything else? I'll get in the wheelbarrow, but not that one. Nope, I'm going to stay here where it's safe, where I'm in control and I have this. God says, hey, oh, you, you got, a, got a bad prognosis from the doctor? I want you to trust me with your help. Nope, not happening. Hey, I want, I want you to do this. God, you don't understand I don't have time. No, I want you to trust me with your time. Give me your time. Nope. If we're honest, each and every one of us have a nope moment when we tell God I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow. And what God is saying to us is, and what James is telling us this morning, if we don't get in the wheelbarrow, we're not really producing works. Whereas we have thought, for a long time in church, and I believe this is one of the reasons that we have the spiritual climate that we do in this nation and around the world, is because too many of us believe that our works are us standing around cheering the guy on that's walking across the tightrope. And Jesus says, I didn't come and die and give my life for you to stand on the sidelines and cheer on something else. He said, I gave my life and gave you purpose and created you for you to get your rear end in the wheelbarrow and go across with me. But too many times we were like, nope. I'm going to be here. God, I'm here and I'm cheering and I'm believing that you're going to do great things. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. If we want to see our city, our community, our nation, all these things change, it's really simple. All you have to do is one thing. Get in the wheelbarrow. Trust God completely. And through that trust and through your faith in him, then there will be an outflow of what God's doing internally. But James says that faith without works is what? Dead. It's useless. Why do you think we have so many dead churches in America? Why do you think we have such a dead spiritual climate in our country? Why do you think we have such a dead spiritual climate in our city? I read you guys the statistics a few weeks ago during our vision series. How many countless people in this community don't attend church every week? Why do we see all these things? 
Is it because people are just, they're just, they're just, we're just bad people now. Have you read the Bible? There were some really bad people in the Old Testament, let me tell you. If you read the days of Noah, it sounds a little bit like today, doesn't it? So don't give me the excuse that people are bad or people's lives are different or this or that. No, there's nothing that's changed in the lives of people. We're still separated from God. What's changed is, is that the people that God has called to be the conduit of his kingdom to accomplish his work aren't working. We're all standing on the sidelines cheering. We're filling our spot in church. We come and we sit down and we check it off our list. I went to church. I went to Sunday school. I gave in the offering. I didn't cuss this week. I did last week, but not this week. Right? We check off our list and we're all happy. I did it. And meanwhile, God's crossing... Niagara Falls on a tightrope asking for somebody to help. And the only thing we're doing is standing on the sidelines cheering him on. God doesn't need cheerleaders. He needs people whose faith will produce works. So James is telling us this morning and he's challenging you and I to say this. If you believe, show me. Sit in the chair. But we still want to walk around in the chair and talk, you don't understand, God, I don't have to sit in the chair. I say it, I believe in the chair and that I would sit in the chair. So because of that, I don't have to actually sit in the chair. And what God's saying to you this morning is, that is ridiculous and stupid. And the world is catching on. So here's the thing. If we believe, then we have to have faith that produces. Because if we don't, we're what? So what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of people do we want to be? Do we want to be just another dead church in a dead spiritual climate and a dead this and a dead that? And, or do we want to be a church and a people who's done what God's called us to do? If we really believe that Jesus died on the cross and you really believe that God sent his son, that he would give you life and that he would reconnect you to God. If we really believe all of that, then why aren't we working? Well, I am working. I came here. No, you're cheerleading. We are a giant pep squad this morning. On the football field of life. Imagine if you went to a football game. How many of you like football? Some, some weeks it feels like there's nothing but cheerleaders on the field, doesn't it? When you're watching your team. And I wasn't talking about the Bears, so calm down. Now you laugh. <laughs> so, but imagine you show up to the football game, there's supposed to be this game, and the only thing there is is cheerleaders. And all the players are sitting in the stands and everyone's cheering and they're looking at the field. Imagine like, how ridiculous that would look to watch that on TV. 70,000 people in the stadium just cheering. Everybody watching is like, what are they cheering for? What's happening? You ever see that like when you're watching a game on TV and one of those crazy people, you know, streaks across the field or something and you hear it in the crowd, but you don't see it. And it takes a minute and you're like, what's going on? What's happening? Where, oh, there it is, that guy, you know, and then the camera finally catches up, right? Well, this is what we're talking about. The church, this is what we become. Just sitting and cheering in an empty field. So God says to us this morning, will your faith produce? Will you have faith that works? 
And if you do, sit in the chair, get in the wheelbarrow, get on the field, any other analogy that you want to use this morning. The point is, we have to have a faith that produces works. Bow your heads with me this morning. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing in our church and in our lives. But God, we don't want to be dead. We don't want to be a church that it's just another church full of cheerleaders, another place full of... God, we want to be people who are willing to step out, to step into all that you have for us, to get into the water, to have faith that works the same way Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. He stepped out of that boat and began to walk on the water. And our prayer has to be that God, that you would take us from a place that we're comfortable and that you would move us to a place that we're uncomfortable, that we rely on you and that our faith in who you are and what you're going to do can then outflow and produce works. Not for us or not for our satisfaction or for our delight, God, but so that we can accomplish what you've called us to accomplish in you. We have the ability to do all that you've created us to be if we're just willing to get in the wheelbarrow. And God, I pray even right now, Lord, that your spirit would begin to move us. God, we know exactly right now those places in our life where we're not willing to get into the wheelbarrow. We know exactly where they are because we tell you no all the time. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to give us the, the faith and the confidence to get in the wheelbarrow and, those, and completely surrender our lives to you. Because if we surrender our lives to you, then you have the ability to move through us. And God, we thank you so much for that this morning. God, we pray that you would lead us beyond the boundaries of our relationship with you that we've created to feel comfortable. God, that you would annihilate those borders and those boundaries that have separated and that keep us where we're safe and where we feel comfortable. God, as you call us out in the deep, I pray that we would be willing to walk. In Jesus' name we pray.